0: Chapter fourteen of War and Woman by Mrs. St. Clair Stobart This LibriVox recording is in the public domain CHAPTER fourteen The next morning at daybreak all was astir in the little camp. Our escort had disappeared, but some of the corps remained to superintend the inspanning of the oxen, which were to convey luggage and equipment on their last short stage to the doors of the hospital, whilst the remainder took in charge the cleaning of the hospital houses. The Commandant put at our disposal during our stay in Kirk a young infantry lieutenant, then convalescent from wounds received during the war. He spoke French, and his duty would be to requisition for us all that we should require in the way of food and other necessaries. We were also presented with a dozen Bulgarian soldiers and reservists to act as orderlies for carrying water, scrubbing, digging trenches, or for doing any odd jobs for which our small staff could ill be spared. Before the work of cleaning the hospital houses could be begun, however, water, pails, cloths, scrubbing brushes and soap had first to be procured. The water supply in a pump in our backyard was too impure, we were told, to be used for any purpose. We had therefore to seal the pump and find water elsewhere. We fortunately discovered some in the yard of a house farther down the street. Pails, well, there were none in Kirkcalese and empty paraffin tins had to be found and converted into water-carriers. Cloths we made hurriedly out of sacks from which blankets and stores were being emptied, and scrubbing-brushes and soap the lieutenant, when he arrived, was able to requisition from somewhere, and the work was at last set going. The soldiers had obviously never seen a scrubbing brush before, a broom made of twigs for sweeping dust being the nearest approach to a floor-cleaning weapon with which they were familiar. THE AMAZEMENT ON THEIR FACES WHEN THEY WERE TOLD TO FOLLOW OUR EXAMPLE AND GO DOWN ON THEIR HANDS AND KNEES AND USE WATER, BRUSHES, SOAP AND CLOTH WAS WORTH WATCHING. THE LARGER OF THE TWO HOUSES, DESTINED TO BE THE MAIN HOSPITAL, CONTAINED ON THE GROUND FLOOR A LARGE ENTRANCE HALL. FROM THIS THERE OPENED ON THE RIGHT A ROOM USED BY ME AS AN OFFICE AND PLACE IN WHICH TO RECEIVE OFFICIALS AND VISITORS TO THE HOSPITAL. THE KITCHEN OPENED OUT OF THE HALL AT THE FARTHER END, AND A scullery BEYOND LED INTO THE BACK YARD. On the left side of the hall, and near the entrance doors, was the surgery and outpatient's room. A tiny storeroom lay beyond, and beyond that was a small room used at first as a dining room for the staff. We eventually deserted this room because it was permeated with essence of cesspool which stagnated just outside the window, and we screened off a portion of the outer hall as a mess room. Upstairs there was a broad corridor which made an excellent ward, and was always full, not only with bed patients, but with others who had to lie on straw mattresses on the floor, the beds being all in use, and the four rooms which were used as wards, also a surgical storeroom, opened into this corridor. There was a Turkish lavatory upstairs and one downstairs, but of course no bathroom. The stairs were circular and particularly ill-adapted for the conveyance of stretchers. The house opposite was more or less similarly arranged and contained a bright, good-sized room which we used as a theatre for operations. As we had been warned of the possible early arrival in Kerkilis of a large convoy of wounded from Chatalja, we made superhuman efforts to be ready for them. And simultaneously, whilst some of the party attended to the cleaning arrangements, scrubbed the floors and scoured the walls and ceilings, others unpacked the huge cases of blankets, bed garments, linen and stores. "'which were unloaded from the ox wagons "'whilst the cooking staff prepared the kitchen. "'The sisters arranged the surgical necessaries "'in readiness for immediate use, "'and the doctors prepared the surgery and outpatient's room. "'On that first night, "'the restaurant-keeper had graciously vouchsafed "'to give us supper, due notice having been given, "'for our own kitchen arrangements "'were of course not yet in working order, "'and after supper we were more than ready for bed. "'But beds were not ready for us,' Some of the light portable iron bedsteads brought from Sophia had been duly carried to our sleeping house, in which we had four unfurnished rooms. But at nine o'clock, the straw, ordered for filling the mattresses, had not arrived, and we were preparing to sleep upon the bare floor when, behold, as usual, the miracle. Unbeknown to us, and whilst we were supping, Mr. Noel Buxton and his brother, who had returned to Kirkkcillis after their interesting tour with the military staff, went off on their own and just as we were arriving at our night quarters to to go-to-floor, in the empty house, these two splendid people arrived at the door in the shafts of carts which they had themselves dragged full of straw from somewhere. Then everybody helped everybody else to fill their mattresses and pillows, and after an hour's exhilarating scrimmage in the dark, for Turkish streets are never lighted, we retired to what might have been but for rats the best night's rest we had had for many a long day. THERE WERE NOT EVEN PACKING CASES FOR USE AS BEDROOM FURNITURE. THESE WERE ALL NEEDED IN THE HOSPITAL, BUT WE learnt TO DO EXCELLENTLY WITHOUT SUCH SUPERFLUITIES. WE COULD ALSO HAVE DONE WITHOUT THE RATS, WHICH WAITED UNTIL, TIRED OUT, WE FELL ASLEEP, AND THEN DARTED OUT FROM THEIR HOLES AND RAN ABOUT, NOT ONLY OVER OUR BEDS, BUT ALSO, BOLD LIBERTINES, OVER OUR FACES. THEIR MOTIVES WERE, HOWEVER, AS WE SOON DISCOVERED, OBVIOUSLY pious. FOR WE FOUND THEM RUNNING OFF WITH SUCH FEW TREASURES, SOAP AND TOOTHBRUSHES AS WE POSSESSED. THUS IN SCRIPTURAL FASHION THEY TOOK FROM THOSE WHO HAD NOT, EVEN THAT LITTLE WHICH THEY HAD. BUT WE HAD NO TIME TO WORRY OVER TRIFLES SUCH AS RATS. EARLY THE NEXT MORNING WE EAGERLY RESUMED OUR HOSPITAL PREPARATIONS. We had immediately realized the importance of establishing at once an outpatient's department, for already rumors of the new hospital had spread, and the narrow street was crowded not only with curious onlookers, but with bandaged soldiers with wounds of every variety, who crowded round the doors clamoring for treatment, which the other hospitals in the congested condition of affairs were unable to provide. With splendid enthusiasm, the three doctors set to work to get the surgery going, and before the first day was over... The wounds of some dozen of the more clamorous had already been dressed, and on the afternoon of the second day, whilst the cleaning of the houses was still in progress, whilst piles of packing-cases in the halls were being emptied, then carried into the backyard and converted into benches and tables, whilst blankets, sheets, crockery, surgical necessaries, stores, etc., were being distributed for surgery, ward, kitchen, or for personal use, whilst beds were being carried upstairs and fixed, Whilst sack mattresses were being made, the ends sewn up, a slit cut in the middle, straw inserted and the slit sewn over, whilst all this was still going on, seventy-one outpatients were treated in the dispensary. And on that same afternoon, just before dusk, ox wagons drew up at the doors with five severely wounded soldiers craving admission as inpatients. They were suffering respectively from complicated fracture of the femur and from general bullet wounds and one from tetanus. Though all was still in confusion, these men could not be refused, for was not this emergency work the work we had come to do? With lightning rapidity a ward was prepared, iron bedsteads fixed, and beds made with new blankets and white sheets and pillowcases, and by the time the carts were unloaded and the stretchers had been safely carried up the stairs, the sisters, in their neat linen frocks, white caps and aprons, their Bulgarian Red Cross badges on their arm, were waiting in the wards with everything ready to receive their first patients. Thus, within forty-eight hours from the time of the arrival of the convoy corps in Kidis, their hospital was a going concern. It was dark at five, but the work of unpacking and sorting and cleaning was continued by those who were not needed in the wards, by the light of candles stuck in bottles, as no oil was available, and lamps could not yet be requisitioned. It was nine o'clock that evening when a halt was called for supper. The Buxton brothers, who had looked in to offer help, were with us, and we had just sat down to a meal of bully beef in our smelly little dining-room, when I was summoned to the entrance hall. There stood an official with a familiar red-cross badge upon his arm. He saluted then, pointing outside into the darkness, said, WE HAVE HERE FIFTY WOUNDED SOLDIERS. THEY HAVE COME IN SPRINGLESS OX carts FROM CHATALJA. THEIR WOUNDS HAVE BEEN UNATTENDED FOR SIX DAYS. CAN YOU TAKE THEM IN? WE MOVED TO THE DOOR AS HE SPOKE, AND DOWN THE UNLIGHTED STREET, AND DIMLY DEFINABLE IN THE DARKNESS, STRETCHED AS FAR AS THE EYE COULD PENETRATE, AN UNBROKEN LINE OF OX WAGONS. THEY WERE NOW STATIONARY, THE LEADING WAGON DRAWN UP IN FRONT OF OUR HOSPITAL DOOR. The drivers had dismounted and stood beside their oxen, patiently waiting for orders. Nothing was visible of the freight of human wreckage inside the wagons. All was silent underneath those wicker hoods. But I knew that fifty human beings huddled together in horrible discomfort were, in suffering and torture, mutely appealing to us to help them. "'Can you take them in?' repeated the Red Cross official. "'Of course I can,' I replied without hesitation. That's what we're here for. I knew we were not, in the strict sense of the word, ready for them, but our rough improvised comforts would at least be better for them than their present deplorable condition. I knew also that the admission to the wards of all these seriously wounded men must, in the present state of our arrangements, entail a heavy strain upon our little staff. But I knew that reliance could be placed on their loyalty to their cause, which is the cause of the sick and wounded and that zeal and enthusiasm would pull them through. I went back to the dining-room. There are fifty seriously wounded soldiers outside. They have come, six days, in ox-carts from Chatalja. They are waiting for us to bring them in, was all that had to be said. Mr. Buxton, who knew that everybody had worked without ceasing for two days, with no time to recover from fatigues incidental to the seven-days trek, remonstrated in vain that I should be overtaxing the strength of the staff, The logic of man had no chance against the intuition of woman. The doctors with fine spirits said they would tackle it. Sisters, nurses and cooks corroborated. And in a moment, the supper table was deserted and everybody was in the street taking a share in the work of conveying the wounded men from those cruel ox carts to the wards. During the rest of our lives, none of us will ever probably again be as busy as we were during those next few hours for the carts must be unloaded and the wounded must be quickly diagnosed and distributed, appropriately to the nature of the wounds or the fever from which they were suffering, and placed under the care of doctors, sisters, nurses, orderlies and interpreters, in the various wards of the two respective houses, whilst inside the nurses hurriedly fixed iron bedsteads and filled mattresses with straw. The removal, without injury, of the badly wounded over the immovable tailboards and front pieces of those particularly inappropriate ox-carts onto stretchers by dim candlelight was no easy matter. The darkness added greatly to the difficulty, for nothing could, of course, be elicited from the patients as to the nature of their wounds without the interpreters, who, at critical moments, would be whisked off to attend to some other urgent case, and be hopelessly lost in the crowd of soldiers and curiosity-mongers who as usual collected and added to the general hubbub. But the most serious consideration was a lack of straw for the mattresses. We could manage without a sufficiency of beds if we had enough mattresses to put upon the floor. The straw that had been ordered and promised had not arrived, and at nine p.m. it was not likely to turn up. There was, I knew, nothing like enough straw to give each man something soft to lie on. This was desperate. Straw must, by hook or by crook, be instantly procured. I saw an official with an intelligent, sympathetic face standing amongst the crowd, looking on idly. I took him by the coat-sleeve. Look here, I said in one language after another till I found one which suited him. You see all these wounded. They are your fellow countrymen. We must house them to-night. We have no straw for mattresses. Get some for mercy's sake. He nodded and went off and I thought all was well. I only learnt afterwards that a Bulgarian nod means a negative, a shake of the head, an affirmative. A few minutes later I saw, standing on the same spot, an official whom I thought was my late friend. There apparently he still stood, having done nothing, and straw this night we must have. I spoke with some heat. This is really too bad. Have you done nothing? Where to goodness is that straw? I remonstrated. CAN'T YOU SEE THE URGENCY? YOU PROMISED ME FAITHFULLY, YOU... AND LOOKING UP INTO HIS FACE, WHICH WAS A LONG WAY UP, I SAW THAT BY THE DIM LIGHT I HAD MADE A MISTAKE. THIS WAS NOT MY FORMER FRIEND. FROM UNDER THE CURLED AND DARK MUSTACHIOS ON A HANDSOME FACE, A VOICE REPLIED WITH haughtiness IN THE ITALIAN LANGUAGE, MADAME, IT IS NOT ONE OF MY DUTIES TO FETCH AND CARRY STRAW. WHY NOT? I REPLIED IMPATIENTLY. WHO ARE YOU? HE SMILED. "'Madame, I am the Italian military attaché.' "'Oh, that is splendid,' I said, much relieved. "'I thought you were only an ordinary man. "'But, as you hold such a high position of authority, "'you will be able to help me all the better. "'You see all these wounded. "'They must have straw for mattresses to-night. "'It is late. "'And, except by a miracle, such as you, we—' oui. "'Madame,' he interrupted, "'straw you shall have, if there is any within ten miles of Lozengrad.' I haven't the slightest notion how straw is made or where it comes from, but I am at your service. He moved off with a business-like air, and the straw, by his orders, arrived soon afterwards. There can be no doubt whatever that military attaches are an excellent institution. No war must ever be without them. War correspondents, too, when they're not corresponding, are likewise good inventions.' The correspondent of the morning post, Mr. Fox, who chanced to be walking down the street, lent us a kindly hand, and was of great assistance in helping us to carry in the wounded. The Buxton brothers, who had themselves been working hard all day in the Bulgarian hospital, were also invaluable, and within a couple of hours that freight of human remnants, shattered in legs, arms, heads, everywhere, had all been removed from the carts and carried on stretchers or hand seats up the inconvenient staircase to the different wards. Here the sisters took the patients in charge and distributed them. The more severely injured in the beds as far as these were available, and when these gave out, the weary wounded were placed on sack mattresses, in the halls, corridors, outhouses, in every available space, and their tattered, blood-stained garments, which were often glued to the wounds, were removed and put in bundles and numbered for subsequent recognition. Wounds were then dressed, and the soldiers clothed the new bed-shirts and linen drawers, and safely tucked up in comfortable sheets and blankets enjoyed, before settling for the night, good plates of soup which the cooks had cleverly managed to produce. Thus, before the end of the second day in our improvised hospital, our wards were not only full, but overflowing, and the work of the hospital was in full swing in all departments. End of chapter 14